What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the show. It's your host, Sean Cavanaugh. I am back after traveling to Tokyo to cover the Olympics, which was a whirlwind of a journey. Uh, I found out my flight details four days before I even had to be at the airport. There were countless COVID tests, quarantine rules, language barriers, and I don't think I slept more than five hours once. But despite all of that, every moment was so worth it to go halfway around the world and have the experience of a lifetime. It was incredible to tell the stories of so many athletes from every corner of the world and work with a really diverse journalism team that we could make up our own United Nations, essentially. I worked with people from Canada to Australia, Japan, to France, Russia, the Netherlands, Barbados, Swaziland. The list just kept going and going and going. It was incredible, then not to mention, of course, all the different countries from every corner of the world being there for the Olympics to cover them and obviously the athletes competing. And not to mention being immersed in the unique, rich culture of Japan. It was a time I will cherish forever and a time I'd like to share a little bit on here. I want to take you through some of the sounds I gathered while I was at the games, while I was interviewing athletes, watching some of the sports. There were so many moments where some type of sound or lack thereof because there were no fans had an impact on the sporting events. It was a very common question, especially in the beginning. People would come off and we'd ask the athletes, how did it feel to not have fans out there? How were these moments different from past Olympics if they had been to Olympics before? And it was really, really important to see how the sounds around the games were affecting what was going on on the field or on the court or in the pool or whatever the field of play was because of course there's so many different sports at the Olympics. So now I'm going to share some of those clips with you and set them up so you can hear how it was to be in Tokyo for these historic games and to show you some examples of how music or crowd noises or other sounds impacted the world's greatest athletes. And excuse any of the background noise because some of these were recorded in really crowded media scrums and these crazed things called the mix zones and under stadiums or out on the field and the dying sweaty heat or in some place where there was just a bunch of people running around and events going on behind you. So I tried to edit it the best I could, ignore that part. I think you'll be able to hear everyone speak. And let's start with a star that many of you may know, Megan Rapino. The U.S. women's soccer, or as many like to call it, football team took on the Netherlands in a dramatic quarterfinal win. The U.S. women's team advanced in a penalty shootout, but the massive stadium that was built for the 2002 World Cup initially was completely empty. 
So let's hear what that emptiness sounded like along with some of the low fake crowd noise they tried to pump into the stadium during the game. So you can hear all the players shouting and it's almost sounds like you're at a local pickup game without the screaming fans there. It has a much more natural feel, almost like a practice setting. So let's hear what Rapino had to say talking about that lack of atmosphere and how it impacted her when she took the winning penalty kick to send the U.S. through. Welcome up to this penalty spot. What's going through your head there? It's a no crowd. A little bit of a different atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Um, the atmosphere is absolutely nothing uh, in a huge stadium. Um, I mean, just uh, I just kind of was like, end it. Uh, Alyssa obviously took two, took two for us, so that takes a ton of the pressure off all the PK takers. I mean, her saving the first one is huge. Uh, her saving the one in the game obviously saved us. Um, but but in the shootout, so just go up there, be confident, and just end it. I mean, yeah, I'd much prefer in front of 50,000. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it's way more fun. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the entertainment value decreases uh, immensely when you're, you know, just the camera people behind us. We don't even know where you guys are, so. Uh, it's definitely not as, as much fun, uh, but it kind of is what it is. I mean, we practice penalties like, just like that all the time because we're just doing them at training or pregame training or whatever it is, so we've actually gotten quite used to it really empty, awkward stadium, so maybe that's given us a little bit of an advantage. So clearly athletes still have to prepare even when there are no fans. The lack of noise can almost be as distracting as a raucous crowd is. So now let's move to a louder moment. The U.S. women's indoor volleyball team had never won Olympic gold, but that all changed in Tokyo when they took down Brazil in the final. After the medal ceremony, We Are the Champions by Queen began blaring through the arena and the U.S. women immediately linked arm in arm and started singing together with their whole staff. And it was a perfect moment to show how music can unify a group, especially a team in sports. So let's listen to that moment. And please don't sue me, Brian May. This was recorded in, I think, a free space in an arena distantly away. I'm not using the recording, I swear. <laughs> It was an incredible moment where you can hear the team's joy even over the blaring speakers. And it was something that I definitely won't forget and was a perfect way to cap off the end because this was the last day of competition at the Olympics. So let's hear from opposite hitter Annie Drews who was on that team talking about that moment, singing the song together. What was that moment like, all of you guys singing We Are The Champions together? Oh man, um, this group knows how to have fun. So uh, we, we love that moment when we kind of take a deep breath and just it's about us. It's not about the media, it's not about anybody else. It's just a moment where we get to hug each other and bask in the moment of it. So, so special. And now let's jump to a different kind of court. 
I talked to tennis star Garbina Muguruza from Spain after one of her wins. Muguruza is currently ninth in the world and has won the French Open, Wimbledon, and was previously ranked first in the world in 2017. I asked her what music she enjoys and how she uses music to combat the mental difficulties of playing the lonely sport of tennis. Going into the match, what was on your pregame playlist? What were you listening to before you got ready? I was listening, actually, what I was listening? I was listening to a song that the girls played to me, a reggaeton song, actually, that I didn't know. And it was like a summer song. It was a good mood song. You kind of like reggae a lot, don't you? I love reggae. It puts me in a, in a happy, relaxed mood. I love Latin music. But reggae, yes, definitely. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, you're not from an island country. Where did you get that love of reggae from? Um, I, you know, I grew up in Venezuela and there you listen to also the Caribbean type of beat and um, I don't know, I love the beach and my family, they always play reggae and it's cool. Do you ever use music as kind of like a coping mechanism? Obviously t tennis is the most mental sport there is. Do you ever use music as a way to get through that? Definitely. Since I was little, I feel like music has, you know, helped me with loneliness, you know, those tough moments traveling and before the match, you just, you know, put your music and forget a little bit about everything. Do you have an example, maybe a memory you have of a time where it really got you through something specific? You know, before like a final, like a big final, you know, you, you put your headphones and you just play your favorite songs, you know, and for a, for a minute or two, you know, you just listen to them and sing. So when you're singing, you're already are thinking about the lyrics or you are not thinking about the pressure or the, you know, the tense. Um, so that would be an example. You have an uh, example of a song that maybe you always go to to get you in that mindset? Oh, I love I Wish You Were Here from Alpha Bondi. I feel like uh, that's a, a cool song. Or what else? Um, Sunshine Reggae from Laid Back. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. As you can see from Garbini's responses, music can be a powerful tool that can get you through a tough spot and athletes use it all the time to help improve their sporting careers. And check out those songs she mentioned because they're absolutely fire. I had never heard them before. One's a cover of a Pink Floyd, but with like a reggae vibe. And another one is just a guaranteed mood booster, the Sunshine Reggae song. So now let's kick it to a very different world of judo, where I talk to basically the LeBron James of the sport, Teddy Renaire. This dude is a massive six foot eight, 300 pound man, who's not someone typically that you would see in the world of judo, and he led France to team judo gold. The French team pulled off a massive upset against Japan in the final, and the whole time the French team and other French athletes from different sports who came to support were going insane the entire match. And I know there were no fans at the Olympics, but that was one of the really cool parts, was the athletes from other sports and like support staff would come on their free time if they weren't competing that day, and they would come and support their country people from other sports and they kind of made up the cheering sections and were able to help pump up the athletes competing in ways that they lacked because there were no fans filling the stadium so that part was really cool and this was a great example of it because i swear the french team was just chanting and screaming ale 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 throughout the whole bout and it was really interesting to see how the contrast of the french team with the japanese team so the french team's going crazy they have this little section in the corner and the japan team looked really, really nervous and were mostly silent the whole time during the competition. You could almost feel the pressure that they must have been feeling trying to deliver gold in their home country for judo, which is such a massive sport in Japan. And there were so many volunteers and other local staff filling the seats to watch. And even they only clapped every now and then. They seemed just as intense as the athletes and the people on the bench who were watching the Japanese athletes compete. And it was interesting to see because you would have thought that that many people there 
could have been an actual really loud crowd. They filled half the arena up just with all the volunteers watching because judo is so big in Japan and this was the team final that if they were cheering in the ways that the French were, it made me wonder how much they could have helped the Japanese athletes if they were just slightly in the same kind of raucous atmosphere as the small French section was, who you could tell was clearly helping the uh, French judukos, as they call them. Uh, every time you know France scored or did something well, the section was going crazy and they were just feeding off that energy. And it was another example of how sound, whether it's music or noise or just these voices can affect a sporting event, what's going on on the field, or in this case, on the mat. So let's hear from Renair, the self-proclaimed LeBron James of judo, about the energy of his team and how he brought music from the Caribbean to help prep his team before the event and get them in a unified rhythm as they prepped for the most important match of their careers. You guys were going nuts at the end there. Absolutely crazy scenes. What was that, sure. those emotions like? Crazy moment, crazy day. Crazy Olympic game, crazy situation. It's amazing day for the, the, the team of France. Win, 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 win here. Budokan during the Olympic game. It's wonderful. Come with the first edition. And apparently there was music in the training. This is the Caribbean music. Caribbean and the girls. For win is important because it's a condition for the move, move. Because step by step, we create a group very strong. And the finality is this. What kind of caravan? Zouk? Zouk, uh, soca, reggae, dancehall, a lot of uh, sound. All right, now next up, I want to show you what might be my favorite sound of the whole Olympics. And that is the accent of Paul O'Donovan from Cork, Ireland. O'Donovan captured gold in the lightweight rowing doubles skulls. I learned a lot of new sports terms while I was over there. I think I covered 15 different sports from judo to rowing. I thought I knew a lot about fringe sports, but I know way more now, such as what the heck a double skulls is. So O'Donovan won gold, captured gold with Fenton McCarthy, and was Ireland's first ever gold in rowing. So now I want you to listen to O'Donovan talk about what it was like to be on the podium in that moment and tying the musical element of hearing the national anthem of his homeland. Yeah, yeah, it's, there's a great tune to it, like, I really enjoy it, but it, you, I was very hot and tired and stuff after the race there, so you couldn't, couldn't concentrate at all, I could barely get the words out myself. But you, you know, you get the tune all, all the same, and it's, it's nice, and see the flag being raised there, it's beautiful, like. What does yeah. it mean to you guys to win for Ireland, represent your country, and this whole week in general, the Olympic atmosphere? That's uh, good, like, they, they really get behind the Olympics at home, don't they? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, just a lot of pride, really. You know, it's, it's, I'm glad to, have, glad to have done it for everyone at home, you know? Now, obviously, a little bit of a stretch there, but I just really wanted to share that accent with you. It was probably the most wild accent I heard the entire month I was over in Japan, and I heard a bunch from every corner of the world. And it was really interesting to see because, obviously, English was the unifying language, and it made me really grateful to be... American to be where we're from, where English is our first language, and we're so fluent in it. And when you're trying to communicate with people from around the world, that's kind of the language that people go to. And really is another sign of just the privilege that we have being where we're from. So when you're immersed in that environment and just hearing all the different accents where you're technically speaking the same language of English, but sometimes you had no idea what the other person was saying, just as the case was with O'Donovan. I had to really listen intensely 
through that whole soundbite to transcribe it. It was insane to listen to, but honestly, one of my favorite moments because it's just so funny. Now to wrap it up, I just want to jump a little bit outside the sphere of music and kind of share the words of Noah Lyles. Uh, this will be a little bit different, but I think it's really important what Lyles said, and I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, Lyles is an American sprinter who won bronze in the men's 200 meters in track and field, or as the rest of the world calls it, athletics. Uh, Lyles is a colorful personality who is not afraid to back up his performances with a little showmanship. He's a guy with a lot of character, a lot of personality, and I think he's going to be a a budding star, if he captures a couple golds, you're going to know who this man is. But in a moment, after speaking for a while, talking about his winning bronze and being a little disappointed about not getting gold, Lyles broke down and started to share about his mental health journey. Now, this is something that has come up a lot recently in sports, especially when I was there at the Olympics with Olympians like Naomi Osaka and obviously Simone Biles. Now, it's an important conversation, and I'm glad we're having it. But it's just another example of how athletes are people too and deal with so many other things in life that are off the field or off the court. So listen to Lyles. It's a little long, but I think his words are important. And I hope you can resonate with them the way that we did as media as we were interviewing him. And we're really grateful that he was able to express himself in this way when so many times we get these athletes and they're talking to us and, you know, they're just kind of lost in the whirlwind or not really there to have the presence to really say how they feel because the event just happened or they don't even want to talk to us. So I think this was a great example and probably the best quotes I got the entire time. Take a listen to what Lyles has to say. By far been my hardest year, mentally and physically. You know, I, I talked a little bit about how I haven't been able to, my massage therapist is kind of sick and I haven't been able to see her. And I remember somebody com commented on Twitter after that and I was really upset because they were like, what the heck does that have to do with training? And I was like, well, if you're not getting massages, after you're competing as hard as you can or training as hard as you can, you're gonna injure yourself. But I guess that's something that somebody who doesn't compete at this level would know. So you gotta teach them. And then mentally getting on and off the antidepressants was really hard. Um, I remember right before I came over to Tokyo, I like broke down crying, just a lot of different things. You know, me and my girlfriend were talking and we were talking about, we were talking about a lot of things. He's talking about how hard it was to get through this year. He's talking about me and my brother. You know, I love my brother and it's been really hard for him watching him train as hard as he has. And I'm sorry. I thank God every day that I'm able to come out here because at the same time, I feel like this wasn't even my dream. In 2012, my brother had the dream that he was going to come to the Olympics and I really just tagged him off for the ride. <sighs> and sometimes I think to myself, you know, this should be him. You know, I, I'd be okay <sighs> not being here, you know, because I feel like I have a lot of talents and I feel I can go in different directions. And he, he's, you know, talented is all right. But at the same time, this wasn't even my dream. I just really tagged him on because I love my, my brother. And I'm like, I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to do this together. <laughs> and it's taken us so far, and I'm just like, you should be here right now. I'm sorry. <sighs> I want to finish this. <laughs> if anybody has something else, I can keep going. <sighs> it does in a way. Because I know that no matter what, 
if both of us are going to cheer each other on no matter what. If he was here today, I'd cheer just as hard for him. I'd probably cheer more for him than I would for myself if he was here. Because uh, this was both our dreams. This is exactly what we wanted. <sighs> A lot of talk, thankfully, about mental health with athletes. We've heard from a lot of the American women. We haven't really heard from a lot of the American men talk about yeah. it or open about it. What are you willing to share with us about your mental health journey? It's been a very long, it started when I was really young. If I told the whole story, we'd be here for an hour. Uh, short version is my, my mom deals heavy with anxiety and depression. And dealing from a young age, uh, she kind of picked up on cues on me, knowing that that could be something that affected me in the future. So just constantly her keeping me in therapy, even from a young age, it, it wasn't a serious, you know, talk it out therapy. It's like play therapy, you know, you talk with a kid, you play a game. And uh, but going through life, it was very hard for me to figure out what I wanted to be. I knew I didn't want to go the educational route because standard school wasn't for me and in that that hold and lock that school had on me was very tough. And I'd say that was my first grips with depression. And then coming out when I was able to, you know, go and do track, I was just like, I felt that everything had been lifted and I'll be able to actually live my life. And I'm so thankful for all the avenues that I've been able to go down. I'm actually, uh, I learned that I'm into fashion. I've been able to continue my art. I've been getting into music and <laughs> I've been in almost every magazine that I've wanted to, and shoot, I'm going to the Met Gala. <laughs> How important is that to you to get to those moments, to make that music, especially now on a platform like this, you might be able to take that somewhere outside the track. Can you get those achievements to basically be at the level of an Olympic medalist? Do yeah. those mean as much to you? Yeah, uh, to be honest, I've always said that the day I'm not having fun with this sport, I'm gonna leave it. <laughs> And for a little bit, I wasn't having fun this year and I didn't want to leave. I had to make a decision. I was like, all right, I got to get better. You know, I can't let this control me. And I was using those outlets of music and track and everything else to really uh, to help me get through those tough moments, you know, and saying, you know, if this even if this doesn't go right in track, I still have a life outside of it. I have places that I can go. I am not defined by being an Olympic bronze medalist or a gold medal war champion or the high schooler that went pro. Uh, uh, that's not who I am. I'm no Laos. You know, I'm not Usain Bolt's successor. I'm not Andre DeGrasse's successor. I'm, I'm nobody's successor. I'm me, and that's who I'll always be. Hey, Noah, what's, what's changed to make you guys brave to share what you shared now because this wouldn't have happened uh, here at the last olympics what's changed uh i don't think i've changed at all to be honest i think this has always been me uh, if that has encouraged other people to talk out then i guess that's all i could really ask for uh somebody asked me why i told people on twitter that i was on antidepressant and it was truthfully for the idea that i had taken something and it made me feel better and I knew there was a lot of people out there like me who were too scared to say something or even start that journey. And I wanted them to know if you guys see me in a big light, I want you to know that it's okay to not feel good and you can go out and talk to somebody professionally or even get on medication because this is a serious issue and you don't want to you know, wake up one day and just think, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. 
the reason I'm telling you guys is because I want you to go tell others. I want other people to know that there's a better way. I don't want anybody to go out there and think, well, so-and-so isn't doing it, or so-and-so is doing it, and they want you to do it too because they don't want anybody to have to go through what I've gone through. Now, obviously, Lyles has had quite the journey already and uses things like art and music to help break through those hard points in life. And it's just another sign of how music intertwines itself into the sporting world and can be as important of a tool for athletes as training is. Now, this wraps up this little tour of Tokyo. I hope you enjoyed the ride and join us on the next episode of Courts and Courts. So please follow, subscribe, tell your friends. And arigato gozaimasu. Thank you so much for listening. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube